Welcome into episode 172 of the Potters East Village Times podcast. Dominic Stern and Sammy Bembo here with you. No James Clark today. He's out, got caught up with some work stuff, hoping that he could be back with us in the next one. Sammy, the Potters are one game below 500. We're recording this Wednesday, you know, about an hour before first pitch. So by the time this episode's out, the outcome on Wednesday will be over with. You know, I mean, hopefully the Potters can respond after being shut out again on Tuesday and get back to 500. Uh, how you doing? And, uh, you know, it's been up and down for the Padres, especially offensively. Yeah. I'm glad we could get back and talk together and talk about the Padres. I wish that we were talking in a more positive light. As you said, it's been kind of rough sledding so far. I mean, the team after starting eight and 11, they were able to fight their way back to 12 and 12. They got shut out and really didn't look competitive at a lot of points in yesterday's loss to Chicago. I think that's five shutouts in their last 15 games. I saw something on Twitter today that said they were only shut out 11 times all of 2022. So, I mean, for the you know projected best offense in baseball, it's been a massive disappointment so far. I think that starts really at the top of the order. Juan Soto and Manny Machado have done really nothing for the Padres. And that's kind of where they expect a good amount of their offense to come from. I don't know where this team is without Xander Bogarts. He's been leading the way in just about every offensive category. He's he's run his on base streak now to 27 games. As of this recording, he's gotten on base at least once in every Padres game this year. He's gotten on base. I think twice in more games than he's only gotten on once. I think it's 15 or 16 games he's been on twice. So he's been great, but really the rest of the lineup has just hasn't done much. Uh, I mean, Soto's walking a lot, but he's not really hitting Machado's not hitting anything very hard. Um, Fernando Tatis jr. Is back and you know, he's only been here for about five games, but you hope that that kind of gets the offense going a little bit. But uh, I mean, for the time being, like, you know, you're watching it right there with me. It's, it's been really frustrating to, to, to watch a lineup that was put together and projected to be one of the best in baseball statistically right now. They're one of the worst in baseball. Yeah. It's been extremely underwhelming. Uh, I think underwhelming disappointing, obviously is a good word, but underwhelming too. I, they, they just haven't produced just about anything. Runners in scoring position, they're awful. It feels like they're way too quiet at the plate. They're taking a lot of pitches. I mean, no one else is, you know, exemplifying that than Juan Soto, who's just completely unaggressive in the count. Yesterday was ahead 3-0 against Steele. Took two pitches right over the middle of the plate and then swung at ball four for strike three. He, he just hasn't been comfortable at the plate, it doesn't look like in you know, all the signs are pointing towards the fact that he'll be able to break out of it at some point because when he's making contact, he's hitting the ball hard and he's still drawing walks. So not too concerned about him, but you look at Manny Machado, who's been banged up, uh, that got released by the Padres essentially when he got a day off uh, during the series against Arizona. And the Padres have only had two off days to this point. That's the least in baseball. And they're going to get more relief over the next week and a half. So you'd hope that that is going to allow them to become more comfortable and uh, they can catch up on sleep, catch up on rest. But I mean, you don't really want to make excuses for them, especially early in the season, because this team is supposed to be better than this. And yeah, it it just goes to show you that this is why you go out and you play the games because, you know, you can go out and you can pay all the money for the offense. I mean, even the pitching too, they have to go out there and they have to perform and they haven't done that this far. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I mean, like you said, like they 
they haven't had many off days. They're playing arguably one of the toughest schedules in baseball up until this point. But when you're a team that is tabbed as one of the top, I'd say consensus top three teams in baseball going into the season, you're supposed to attack these stretches, right? You're not supposed to be caught on your back foot and be under 500. I know that they've already had a cross country road trip where they had to go to Atlanta. They had to go to New York. Now they're in Chicago. It's a lot of travel, but at the same time, if, if you're going to be one of the best teams in baseball, you, you can't make these excuses. You have to just go out and handle them. And, and to this point, they really haven't. And I don't know, obviously the offense has to step up at some point. And I do think, that it's going to round into form eventually. But as of right now, it, it is a little concerning to see Manny Machado's hard hit rate is way down. I think it's 18% lower than it was last year. I mean, like you said, Juan Soto, he's walking a lot. Yeah, but it just looks like he's way too passive at the plate. Those two strikes that you mentioned that he took against Justin Steele in his first at bat yesterday, both were pretty much solid strikes in the middle of the zone that he thought were ball four. So I don't know if he's trying to walk more i don't it's just it's confusing seeing him at the plate just because it doesn't look like something like all is right with him it definitely looks like he's being way too passive i don't know if that's with the expectations of being traded for a massive amount of prospects and now he feels the pressure to perform the fact that his you know he's got an extent he's got a contract sitting out there that he turned down from washington for over 400 million dollars i think a bunch of that is kind of coming to a head now and might be affecting him a little bit. So it, it is frustrating and it is frustrating that, you know, even when you get a fairly solid pitching performance from Blake Snell yesterday, five innings, two runs, that should be enough to win you a lot of games with the, with this kind of offense. And it just seemed like after he gave up that two run home run beyond Gomes yesterday, the game was pretty much over. Justin Steele shut them down for five and a third innings. And then, the Cubs bullpen did the same. I mean, they had runners on base, but it seemed like it was always coming with two outs and they could never get the big hit. So it, it's, it's frustrating when they get the traffic on the bases, but they just can't come through with a big hit. And it seems like that's been the case all season so far. No, unfortunately the Padres have been able to scrape across wins when they've been presented to them so that they are playing really bad baseball currently sit outside the playoff picture still in April. It's not a big deal, but they're only, 12 and 13 like it could be significantly worse than what it is considering how they've played or at least considering how they've seemingly played because of course expectations are dangerous you know last year without Fernando Tatis Jr. and before the trade deadline it was all right you know if this team can stay afloat then when Tatis comes back they're going to be a really good team and they just never really had that expectations and they were just able to progressively win games and now it's a totally different situation. This is the third highest payroll in baseball. This team has two players that have $300 million contracts. Inner Bogart, who has a $280 million contract. Two pitchers who have $100 million contracts. Blake Snell, who's probably going to bet, probably going to get a contract over $100 million as well this offseason. Jake Cronenworth, who got an $80 million contract. Like there, There's just so much money put into this team and so much hype around it. It feels to me like they're pressing and that's not an excuse, but it's definitely something that can be happening and is making it harder on them. And you got to wonder how they're going to find a way to stop doing that. And if they just need to find like a week where they go five and two and just go out and dominate teams and say, all right, Hey, got confidence back in myself. We're just going to go out there and play baseball. Cause that's what they've said. We're going to go out there and play baseball 
and get wins because we need to win so that way we don't doesn't come down to the final week of the season but it seems that you know the way that they're playing that's how it's going to be yeah i i totally agree and i would agree with you that i think that there is definitely some pressing i think that you've kind of seen some acknowledgement of that from players comments early in the season so far i also think it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation where it's like okay you need to hit to be able to have the confidence and that your offense will get rolling but you also need to have the confidence in order to hit so it's kind of like a back and forth thing I thought that, that was going to be the case after the Arizona series. They looked pretty solid outside of facing Zach Gallen, who, you know, is one of the best pitchers in baseball and shut them down. But they went three and one. They took three out of four in Arizona. And you think, okay, like maybe this is a little bit of momentum here. We can carry this into the rest of the road trip. But after a day off and then yesterday showing it, it, it just kind of proves that the offense is just continue to be inconsistent and there's no imminent sign that it's going to get better. I I think that it will eventually, but I, as of right now, it's tough because when, I don't know, four, five, I think it's five guys in your lineup are hitting below 200. And I know batting average is a, an outdated stat, but it's, it's still a good indicator that, you know, your offense isn't producing. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they decide to tinker with the lineup, if they decide to move guys around or give new guys opportunities. I think that they've been pretty steady in how they've handled the lineup so far this season. I know that Matt Carpenter got a start against the lefty yesterday at DH over Nelson Cruz, who's really been struggling recently, but uh, on the whole, I think you kind of have to ride with this group. I mean, like, like you said, going over all those big contracts, like this is the team for better or worse, not only for this year, but for the next few years going forward. So I think you have no choice, but to keep riding with these guys and keep running these guys out there every day and just hope that it's going to come around because of the pedigrees that a lot of these guys have in the past. Like I don't think Manny Machado is going to have a negative F4 at the end of the season. I don't think Juan Soto is going to be hitting below 200 at the end of the season, but it, it just stings right now because that is what we're going through. And all of these guys are slumping at the same time. And I think it's interesting. I was thinking about it the other day that I don't really think besides maybe 2020, there's ever been a season where I've said, wow, the Padres have really come out and swung the bats super hot this year. Every single year, they seem to stumble out of the gate you know, and they find a way to win games, but it's just a slog for the first couple of months until eventually they kind of get it going. So I don't know what the case is for that, but it's just been frustrating to watch. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it comes down to just, you know, lack of being prepared. It feels like they go up to the plate and they just aren't ready to hit. And that's frustrating because like we're told at such a young age, hey, go to the play with a plan. And obviously it's easier said than done, but like, Go to the plate with a plan, like, you know, try and hunt certain pitches based on all of the research and film that you've watched, because we know that these guys do that stuff. So it's frustrating, but I, I, I'm in the belief that Manny Machado and Juan Soto are going to be anchors in this lineup. And maybe it just takes them having a good week because they really haven't had that. Like they haven't had that series where they look good. Soto really started to hit the ball well at the end of the Arizona series. And I'm like, all right, you know, maybe this could turn it around. And then, you know, obviously there's only been one game uh, by the time that we're recording this since then. But yeah, Machado is a concern right now, at least for the immediate future, because he's banged up. Uh, but maybe he needs to just go on the IL, you know, take a, take a just breather, you know, say, hey, Manny, don't do anything for the next five days and just sit there. And, you know, 
figure out this back thing, get a massage every single day. I don't know. You know, I don't deal with this stuff. I'm not a professional athlete, but you know, the Potters have infield depth, at least right now, you can play Matt Carpenter in the field in DH Nelson Cruz. That is a possibility for the Padres. Ha Sung Kim is a really good third baseman. So uh, they, they have an option to do that and maybe get Manny healthier as opposed to just one day off and then these scheduled off days. And if they wanted to, they could have done that dating back to that off day on Saturday and then have them available for when the Padres come back to San Diego on that homestand uh, earlier this next week. And you take advantage of the three off days during that time as a part of his 10 days. Did they do that? Of course they did not. So now if they would have to do that, they'd have to bite the bullet a little bit. So, uh, you know, just interesting stuff that you have to think about there, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of replacements for this team. Potentially David Dahl could come back, but it's not like he was looking very good uh, during his first stint before he went on the injured list, Luis Campusano and we'll, we'll, carry this over and talk about the catching position is going to come back from his injury at some point. We're not quite sure about the timetable on that one, but Austin Nola has looked still bad at the plate. He had three games where he got a hit and that was improvement and you're hoping, all right, maybe he can turn the corner because I don't think anyone's expecting extra base hits and like two or three hit games from Austin Nola. If he can go one for four at the bottom of the order for the Padres, that's Fairly good, especially considering that the pitchers are comfortable pitching to him, but that's just not the case. Yeah, I mean, he's he he just doesn't hit the ball hard, and that's what you see with Luis Camposano in his limited time is that you can see the potential there. You can see that he has higher average exit velocities among not just Padres catchers, but among all catchers in the majors. And it's frustrating that they're still a little reluctant to trust him with more of the staff. I think that just naturally comes with more experience. Um, But it it is kind of frustrating seeing Austin Nola go out there. He doesn't really hit the ball hard. There's nothing really that pops off the screen when you watch him play that he does particularly well. I mean, he is a good blocker, so to speak, but he can't throw runners out and he's been exposed multiple times for that this year. It's, it's just tough because you have to park him eighth or ninth down at the bottom of the order, most games. And the most difficult part about that is you kind of have to have him start four to five games a week right now while Camposano is out just because you're not going to start Brett Sullivan those other games. And so it's difficult because Nola, and I mean, we've said this before on other podcasts, Nola is best operated as a somewhat of a backup catcher where he plays two or three times a week. He has a couple of guys that he, you know, is the personal catcher for, and he doesn't have to play 115, 120 games like he's on pace for right now. I think if you have an even split with him and Camposano or him and someone else, you can utilize his potential a little bit more. I mean, he's 33 years old. He's not getting any younger. It's tough to, even though he's a newer catcher, it's tough to run him out there almost every day and kind of run him into the ground. I mean, it's only April right now. Like imagine what he's going to look like in July or August, if he's catching four or five times a week, it's just, I just don't think it's sustainable. I mean, he was healthy for most of last season, but at least you had the luxury of throwing Jorge Alfaro back there every now and then, but it just, it just seems like it's not going to get much better unless Luis Camposano is able to come back and kind of further establish himself. Cause I don't think, I don't really see them giving Camposano much more leash than what he was getting before he got hurt, which was, you know, maybe two starts a week. Now, and at least with Alfaro last year, 
in Caratini the year before. Like there was another guy back there that you could say, all right, he's going to go back there. He can catch, can maybe hit a little bit. You don't feel comfortable, you know, at least as comfortable with Campusano behind the plate. I mean, that, that became fairly evident last year with Alfaro playing over Campusano because the, he was trusted more behind the plate. It's not like Alfaro was hitting the ball that well as opposed to whatever Padres fans might think of Alfaro because he was abnormally clutch last year, uh, was not a great hitter. Go look at the stats. Um, and then Brett Sullivan. They're, they're just not catching Brett Sullivan at all right now. Like, he got called up for a reason. He needs to be in there, you know, once, if not twice, during these four-game sets. That way Nola can get some rest because, like you mentioned, you're going to get the most out of Nola if he's not playing as much as he is. His body's been degraded, and uh, this is where I wish James was on this episode because I know he'd call him a pumpkin. Uh, Always calls uh, Nola a pumpkin, uh, which is a really funny reference. But, you know, that's nothing against Austin Nola. His body's just not meant to be a catcher. And he's certainly not meant to be the primary catcher and just get worn out. And you saw it once we got later into the postseason. He was really good in the beginning of the postseason after he had a couple days off. Uh, against the Mets and then against the Dodgers. But once those off days started to dwindle and he caught every single game, how many hits did he have against the Phillies in the LCS, Sammy? Not many. It was one. And it was that hit against Aaron Nola that brought in Hassan Kim, which was one of the coolest moments of the postseason. But that was his last good moment for the Padres that uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, I, I want to see Brett Sullivan more. Is he going to be better than Austin Nola? If I had to guess, probably not, but I think that could help Austin Nola. And it seems that you tend to agree. Yeah. It's just, it's something different, right? If you just keep running Austin Nola out there, you kind of know what you have in him. Like Brett Sullivan, he's a relatively known commodity. Like we know he's probably not going to set the world on fire, but he's something different. And he also hits left-handed and he could give Nola a break against some of the more difficult right-handed starters in the league. Now I know that Nola's starting again tonight because Drew Smiley and other lefties on the mound. So you figure he'll get back to back, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Brett Sullivan in the lineup tomorrow with the day game after the night game. But yeah, it, it, it would be nice to see a little bit more of him just so you can kind of relegate Nola to more of that hybrid backup-ish position where he's not catching every day. Um, and, and so I think that's the best course of action for right now. But yeah, the, there's not much of an upgrade that's coming, right? Like Campazano can come back, he'll do what he can do. But catcher has notoriously been one of the most difficult positions to upgrade. We know that the Padres were in on Christian Vasquez based on those reports that we got this off season and they were pretty disappointed when they missed out on him. So, I mean, you're going to be rolling with some combination of Austin Nola, Luis Camposano and Brett Sullivan this year. I don't think that they're going to make a significant upgrade at catcher at the deadline. So I think this might just be something where we've just got to roll with it and accept that this is probably going to be one of, if not the weakest position on the entire team and just hope that as the season goes along, Luis Camposano kind of breaks out a little bit more, at least comes into his own at the major league level and takes over as hopefully the starting catcher by the time the season is over and we kind of move into the playoffs. Yeah, it just kind of sucks because you wonder what the situation would be if Austin Nola didn't get hit in the face in spring training. You know, that's the unfortunate reality. And also another reason that the the people who said the World Baseball Classic is bad for baseball, you know, it's it's all baseball. 
you, you could get hurt at any point in time. And uh, the Padres need better production on the catcher position. They don't need great production. In fact, I don't think they need good production. They they need some production from the catcher position. You look at just about every single major league team. The Astros are kind of the exception, but they're really not because they needed to trade for Christian Vasquez this year, and they got over the hump and won the World Series. And even Martin Maldonado is regarded as possibly the best defensive catcher in all of baseball right now. So uh, you need a good catcher. And Christian Vasquez, you mentioned it. You know, he's the catcher for the Minnesota Twins right now. How's their pitching staff looking right now? Oh, they're one of the best in all of baseball. So it shows having a good catcher. It helps, especially one that can hit just a little bit, just a little bit. doesn't have to be a lot. So uh, that'll be something that we have to monitor. Uh, we, we talked about in our last episode, two hitters that were doing well, and you already talked about one of them, have really started to fade. Uh, it's Nelson Cruz and Ha Sung Kim. Kim's been really bad at the plate as well. And we looked at it. We said he wasn't going to have a 1250 OPS against lefties, and his 600 OPS against righties was pretty telling. Guess what? It has been. Uh, Kim's come to Kim's come back down to earth. He had a really big hit on Saturday against the Diamondbacks. That was very clutch. Uh, it was only hit like 85 miles an hour. So it was also pretty lucky as well, but Nelson Cruz has started to look really foolish on some breaking balls. How concerned are you with, uh, those two right-handed hitters? I mean, I, I've been concerned with that bottom third of the Padres lineup ever since it was fairly exposed in the Philly series last October, that seven, eight, nine of Kim Grisham and Nola. And we can get to Grisham in a little bit. I think he's, we both agree he's been better than he was last year, but not to a significant extent. Um, I'm fairly concerned with Hassan Kim just because maybe what we saw in 2022 was closer to the peak of his offensive abilities than the median outcome of his offensive abilities that I think a lot of people kind of assumed was going to be the case that, oh, he only hit 200 and looked overmatched in 2021. And then he progressed and take a, took a big stride forward in 2022. And he's going to do that again in 2023. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that hits 270 to 280 and hits 20 home runs. Like I think was kind of the natural progression of where he was going to go this year. I think he's got a spectacular glove. I think he's more valuable at shortstop than he is at second base. And I think he's somewhere from like a 230 to 260 hitter that can hit double digit home runs, but is also going to get overmatched and fall into a lot of slumps like he's in right now. You mentioned that hit that he had in Arizona. That's the one hit that he's had in like the past week. He he's, you know, he, he is going to go through periods of time where he does look really overmatched. And when you get into October baseball, it's difficult to hide that because that's all you're facing is guys who are throwing mid to upper nineties or triple digits or guys with really good off speed stuff. You're facing like the four or five best pitchers on team staff. And if he's going to be in that seven spot, or if he's going to be in that six spot, like he has been at points this season, it's tough when he goes through these stretches where he just can't really buy you a hit and there's really no way for him to get out of it than just to hit through it. And so on a scale of one to 10, I'm probably like a five or a six in terms of my concern level with where he's at just because of what it could mean down the road. And also because he's kind of your everyday second baseman for the most part, you kind of have to run him out there most days. I mean, you can give him breaks like we've talked about where you put Jake Cronenworth at second, you put Matt Carpenter at first and give him off days. But 
I think for the most part, your most efficient team and your your most productive team is one with him in the lineup. So I am fairly concerned with him. And then Nelson Cruz as well. It seems like all he's getting is breaking balls right now. And I think teams have finally picked up a scouting report on him that don't throw him fastballs. You're going to have a lot of success. It just seems like whenever he goes up there, he gets three or four breaking balls or he fouls off a fastball and he's headed back to the dugout. He's, you know, also a guy who has looked overmatched at times this season, especially these past couple of weeks. I think I'm a little bit less concerned with Cruz just because he doesn't have to play as much. And he's also a designated hitter. So it's not like you're really, you know, it's not like he's your center fielder and he's got a gold glove and you have to play him every day. He's, the smaller side of a DH platoon with Matt Carpenter and you've only got a million dollars invested in him. Whereas Hassan Kim, he's due $14 million over the next two years. And he's got a really good glove that you kind of need to have on the field. So I'm a little bit less concerned with Cruz just based on the fact that if it goes South with him, you don't really need to have a backup plan. It would be nice if he, if him and Matt Carpenter could keep hitting well, like they did at the beginning of the season with that, DH platoon, but if Matt Carpenter takes more at bats at the DH spot, or even if Jose Azokar can step in or someone like that can step into a DH role and kind of rotate around, I think you can hide Cruz's lack of production a little bit easier than you can Hassan Kim's. And I also think that Nelson Cruz has the ability to adjust and as a hitter say, all right, I'm not hitting the breaking ball. Well, I'm going to go see 300 curveballs in a batting cage session today. And then I'm going to do the same thing again tomorrow. And then maybe I'll get put in the lineup uh, on the next game. I I don't know how Ha-Sung Kim gets better at hitting the fastballs because he hasn't shown that over his two years in the majors. And he looks incredibly overmatched. Yeah, Bruce does too, but uh, it's just not, uh, it's not something that I think can get fixed. And yeah, I I don't know why they don't play Cronenworth less at second and then Carpenter at first. And Cruz at DH, we saw. When you know, you remember the last time the Padres did that, Sammy? I think it's been at least like 10 days. It, it hasn't happened in a while. It was the day game against the Brewers where the Padres scored 10 runs and Jake Fernworth hit two home runs. It, it worked. It worked. Now you have to trust Matt Carpenter at first base, and you also have to trust Cruz against a righty. I I I can't remember how Cruz did in that game, but probably did better than Hassan Kim would have. Um, It's just a tough spot because, yeah, you want his glove out there. Hassan Kim's a good player. We're not trying to bag here. I I just don't know how he gets better as a hitter. You know, he can't just like, especially midseason, you know, teach himself how to hit a fastball that he's proven he doesn't have the capability to do so. We've seen in the past Nelson Cruz has been able to hit the breaking ball. It's all about picking it up, trying to foul it off, staying alive, and I think he has the track record that he'll be able to adjust. And like Sammy mentioned, if he doesn't adjust, he just sits on the bench and you hope that Matt Carpenter can continue to produce against lefties. He did a good job uh, this past week, had a couple hits off of some left-handed relievers. And he also hit lefties really well for the Yankees last year. So I don't think there's any reason to, you know, be too concerned there, but the awesome Kim thing, considering how much the Padres are paying him, it's not an exorbitant amount, but they have to pay him. It's not like they can just say, all right, Nelly, it's not working. We're going to release you or you're, you're just going to sit on the bench and then be sparingly used. Kim, Kim has to play and he has some value, just not much at the plate. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that they're going to continue to have a long leash with him just because he can't really go away from this right now. Like what, what we talked about earlier, like this is the team. Ha Sung Kim will be on the team this year and next year and maybe in 2025 as well. But it, it's, you know, it, it just kind of compounds the problem a little bit that the team hasn't gotten much offense outside of really Xander Bogarts and from time to time, Matt Carpenter. I mean, it, it's just one more spot in the lineup where you just don't have production. And so it, it's been a little difficult, but I think luckily, and now, you know, we can kind of shift a little bit onto the pitching side of things. Luckily the team does have more off days and the coming days and weeks, they, the schedule does lighten up a little bit. And so as a result, the Padres have decided to move Ryan Weathers and Nick Martinez. Well, first Ryan Weathers moved from the bullpen through last night was optioned down to triple a for Tom Cosgrove this morning. Um, Nick Martinez moved to the bullpen for the time being with the return of Joe Musgrove. So looks like for at least the short term, the Padres are moving to do a five man rotation, which I think is going to benefit them. I think that moving Nick Martinez to the bullpen where he's more effective, where you can still give you multiple innings is going to be beneficial as opposed to having a shorter bullpen where you've really got to look for innings wherever you can. I think it's going to be helpful, but at the same time, we saw this last year, once Nick Martinez moved to the bullpen, it was really difficult for him to get built up and handle a starter's workload just because he hadn't done that in a few months. So that's my concern with the Padres moving to a five man rotation is that if you put Nick Martinez in the bullpen, he starts throwing two to three innings. He's only throwing 30 pitches at a time. It's going to take him a long time to build back up to being a starter. Whereas it, I'm hoping that this is the case with Ryan Weathers, where they move him down to El Paso. Hopefully he keeps getting regular turns in the rotation there. If that's not the case, then I don't know what the heck they're doing. Cause he's pitched really well for them this season. Yeah, credit Seth Lugo. He's kind of, you know, solidified his rotation role as of now. And Nick Martinez said that, you know, hey, they're transparent with me. This is a temporary move. How temporary it is, we'll have to wait and see, and especially with, you know, the schedule over the next, you know, month or so. It certainly bodes much better for a five-man rotation. You can have an extra arm in the bullpen, and you can really, you know, allow yourself to be more aggressive and go win some of those games. So, I think Martinez gets back to the rotation and I think this is what's best for the Padres. Just like you do. Uh, I was fascinated by the move to send down Ryan Weathers, especially for Tom Cosgrove because Weathers had looked significantly better this season than he did uh, in 2021, as well as last year when he didn't pitch well in triple A, he made an adjustment this off season, which, we talked about him needing to do. That's what most guys need to do, especially after their first year. A little more off-speed oriented in his uh, pitch selections, and he'd been effective. He looked good coming out of the bullpen against the D-backs in uh, the one game that he pitched. I, I, I was quite frankly shocked that he got sent down, and I, I don't know what's next for Ryan Weathers because I don't really know what he has to work on by going down to AAA El Paso, where you're quite frankly going to be set up to fail pitching in the PCL. Yeah. And, and like I was saying, I'm hopeful that this is merely just a move where, Hey, we're moving to a five man rotation right now. We'd rather have you stay built up to a starter's workload and throw 90 to hundred pitches every five or six days. So that when that need does arise again for an extra spot in the rotation, we can call you right back up. 
That being said, though, I'd rather him use his innings at the big league level and have him come out in two to three inning bursts where, like we were saying, he's looked a lot better this year. He's looked like a truly effective pitcher that can compete not only in a major league rotation, but can also get some high leverage innings out of the bullpen. So I don't know why Tom Cosgrove is coming up for him as opposed to Ray Kerr, who we saw last night and gave up that basis clearing triple after Steven Wilson had come out. I, I think that was the logical move. That's what I thought it was going to be when I heard that Tom Cosgrove was coming up. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's definitely confusing because like you said, I don't think he really has a lot that he can work on. I think he is set up to fail a lot more in the PCL than he is even at the major league level where he's shown to make strides. And, and that's where he's going to learn more too, is at the major league level. I'd rather have him gain more experience at the big league level throughout the course of the season to the point where maybe you could put him in the bullpen for a couple innings on a playoff roster where he's an effective left-handed relief arm. So I don't know. It, it is questionable. And I, unless I'm wrong, I think he has to remain down in AAA for at least 10 days before he can come back up unless there's an injury. So he's going to be down for probably the duration of this team using the five man rotation, which is probably going to be for at least the next few weeks. So I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen with him. If he's going to be, I assume he goes down and works as a starter in triple a but yeah it's confusing to say the least yeah i mean i hope that he goes down and he's you know gonna consistently be a starter because i don't think especially with more off-speed oriented uh pitch selection that he's going to be a starter going forward for the padres because they don't have uh you know starters in the near future for them like he's the guy at the top of the farm system or not the farm but just the the minor league levels to be a starter for the Padres, they they don't have those guys. The, the like promising pitchers are all in low A, couple in high A, and then you know some that are like you know more projects are in double A. So it's really Ryan Weathers and whatever the Padres have at the major league level right now, especially with Blake Snell leaving after next year. Guys having opt outs, you know, you know Michael Walkup has not looked good in uh, pitching tonight. We'll see how he does. Uh, and guys like that, you know, if they pitch well, the Potters may not have as many options, at least, you know, going into the offseason. They're going to need Ryan Weathers. So uh, concerning that he got optioned, uh, we'll be interested to see what Bob Melvin has to say. And if anyone can talk to AJ Preller about the move or if, you know, any of the reporters find out some more information. And, you know, Kevin Acey talked about how his velo was down. I certainly noticed that on Saturday because I was at the game. Um, so when the radar is occasionally working at Chase Field, I always have my my eyes peered onto it. Chase Field, bottom five ballpark in baseball. I'll stand by that notion. Uh, and, you know, you just got to hope that Ryan Weathers can make it back because that was concerning. But, yeah, the pitching staff has had a lot of highlights. Steven Wilson, although he got uh, roughed up a little bit against the Cubs last night, uh, has been absolutely unbelievable, kind of solidified himself in that eighth man or that eighth inning setup man role. Uh, you know, do you think that's sustainable for Wilson? Because I, I think that given his fastball and improved slider, I think it actually can be a good role for him. Yeah, I agree. I think that he's looked really good besides that appearance yesterday, which, you know, you hope is a fluke or a blip on the radar. He's looked really good. He's looked really poised. They've thrown him in more high leverage spots this year than he's had in years past. I think that he's an effective eighth inning guy until hopefully you can get Robert Suarez back. That's a whole nother can of worms is that he's not even throwing yet. It might be June or July or whenever until he comes back. So you really have to accept that 
Steven Wilson is probably going to be your eighth inning guy for the foreseeable future. I saw, I was watching the game last night. They had Luis Garcia up in the fifth inning. And so I don't know if they're trying to operate with him as more of like a fireman role in mid relief. His stuff has been way down this year. He's not throwing nearly as hard. He's walking more batters. I think the pitch clock is having an effect on him just based on how he's holding runners and how he's allowing runners to steal. So it's just, it, it's been kind of a mess for him this year. And without Steven Wilson, it, you know, you kind of wonder where this bullpen would be without him. So I think at least for the next couple of weeks, you've got to roll with him as your eighth inning guy. Tim Hill's never going to be a guy that you give an eighth inning clean to. He's almost always going to be a, lefty on lefty guy where you let him face a right-handed batter here and there, but he's never going to be that guy that you trust consistently in the eighth inning every single night. I think Steven Wilson does have the stuff to be able to handle that role. Like we were saying, like he does have a fairly lively fastball in the mid nineties, that sweeper that he throws seems to be legit and the numbers seem to back it up. And so I'm excited for him just because I do think that he has the ability to be a high leverage reliever this year. And hopefully we see a little bit more of that going forward because, you know, the Padres bullpen hasn't really been as advertised this year. Um, but with him and with Brent Honeywell and with Josh Hader, you have three guys that you can somewhat confidently rely on for outs at the back end of games, which if we had said two of those three names at the beginning of the season, I don't think either of us would have thought that to be the case, but Brent Honeywell, another, another guy who's thrown really well and who has given the team multiple innings at a time. And you really just can't say enough about him. So with those three guys towards the back of the bullpen on a given night, I feel pretty comfortable that the Padres can hold a lead from the seventh inning on. And we'll see how fluid the situation gets. Josh Hader has been unbelievable. He's probably been the best closer in baseball. Felix Bautista for the Orioles uh, would have something to say about that. He's unreal. Um, you know, it feels good to have, you know, the solidified guy in the ninth inning again, someone that's striking guys out. Kirby Yates was that guy in 2019. Uh, other than that, it's been, you know, a little bit since the Potters have kind of had that lockdown guy that they consistently have had. Trevor Hoffman leading in the Heath Bell and then Houston Street. And then a couple of years in between there, we had some, I mean, how could I forget Fernando Rodney in uh, the first half of 2016? Uh, but they're, the Potters have their guy at the back end, and that's the most important spot in the bullpen. I, if there's one thing, I hope that they can use Stephen Wilson a little bit less. Uh, he leads all of baseball in appearances thus far. And I'm not sure that's sustainable, especially considering, you know, how much he's pitched at the minor league level, uh, considering that he was never really like this top prospect for the Padres. So like they weren't necessarily super careful with him, uh, pitched a lot at Santa Clara as well. So I do have some concerns about how, like how long he can, you know, pitch two days then have an off there, like three days in a row. Like it's just not something you ever want to see a reliever, no matter what the circumstances, uh, you know, pitching like that. Yeah. And he threw a lot of pitches last night too. I think he threw close to 40. So you got to imagine he's probably going to be down tonight, but yeah, it's a good point as the season goes along. And as you start to rely on your bullpen, maybe a little bit more in August, September, October, it's going to 
have to be things where you're counting on those same relievers towards the end of the season for two nights in a row, maybe three nights in a row in October as well. It's going to be the same case. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage the bullpen. And again, like we talked about with the starters, there's not a lot of imminent relief help that's coming. This for the most part is the bullpen. The Padres farm system at the upper levels is relatively barren in terms of guys who can help you out at the major league level. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage this for the next couple months. I imagine they'd probably trade for at least one reliever around the trade deadline if they're in the hunt, which they will be. Um, whether it's a closer or not, or like a shutdown guy, I think it kind of just depends, but I think we'll see at least one random relief name pop up sometime in July. That's on the Padres radar. That they can trade for that can give them some innings, but hopefully you get Robert Suarez back some point this season. I know that they're taking it really carefully with him, but it still sounds a little tenuous just based on what's bothering him being his elbow. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think for the next couple months, you kind of just have to ride with this group and see what they can give you. They've been a little bit better as of late besides last night. But I think for the most part, I have some confidence that this group can get outs and can get it to Josh Hader. And, you know, like you've said, once it gets to Josh Hader, it's pretty much a lockdown thing. So just consistency over the next couple months, I think, is what we're searching for in almost all facets of this team. Yeah. Anything else you want to discuss on this podcast? Keeping it relatively short that way we're, uh, we're not dragging out too long on our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like we've, like we've talked about the biggest thing I'm going to be watching for is, is a little more consistency on offense. I think that most nights the pitching has given them a chance to win. Now it's not saying that everyone's gone out and thrown a gem these past couple of weeks. It's kind of been far from that, but I'd say seven out of 10 times, the pitching will give this team a chance to win games. And recently they just haven't been scoring runs. And so hopefully Tatis gets going a little bit. Hopefully Soto gets going a little bit. Hopefully Manny gets it going a little bit. I mean, you could go on and on. So, I mean, more than anything else, I'm going to be looking for the offense to just try to come to some form of normalcy in terms of their production levels, just because I find it hard to believe that this team can have the lowest batting average in baseball for the duration of the season. So a little bit of positive regression is imminent when that happens I don't know. We all hope that it's soon. It could be a week. It could be another month. It could be three months, which hopefully if, if that's the case, then we're in a pretty bad spot, but hopefully the offense kind of starts to get things rolling a little bit here and shows a little bit more production in the coming weeks as the schedule lightens up a little more too. Yeah. I saw something about like the 2018 Dodgers, the 2019 nationals, the 2021 Braves, and then the Astros about how like, you know, their offense wasn't really clicking for a while. Then all of a sudden it just clicked and they just mashed and was racking up wins. And then, I mean, oh no, it was the Phillies from last year. Uh, so uh, that, you know, they, they don't have to get it going soon, but considering the expectations for this team, uh, you know, it would certainly be, helpful to all the fans if they can, you know, start to win games a little bit more consistently, especially not getting shut out. You know, if you go out there and you look good and you score four or five runs and you lose by one or two runs, you're not going to be like, Oh man, I just wasted three hours of my life. Like I think a lot of Padres fans are two and a half hours now, I guess I should correct myself. Um, so we'll, we'll see if the Potters can pick it up, but that's going to wrap up episode 172 of the Padres East village times podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, 
on either Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you listen. Uh, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. Make sure to check us out on Twitter. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll know that Sammy's uh, Lewis and Clark POs just won their championship and uh, they keep moving on. And that uh, I, I announced the new job that I got. We'll be broadcasting in Wisconsin uh, for professional baseball, 97 games uh, in Indy ball. Super excited for that. Uh, big things for the people at East Village Times. Uh, we thank you all for your support. Uh, couldn't do this without you listening or reading our stuff. So thank you all once again and hope to catch you on episode 173. This has been the Padres East Village Times podcast. <laughs>